I'm just gonna I'm just gonna drink this isopropyl alcohol that's on my desk. That'll make me feel better. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, okay. Drunk episode quick, of quick, quick clap. Three, two, one. Welcome, welcome to episode ten, viewers, listeners. I guess they wouldn't be viewers. No, they'd be listeners. Listeners, uh, episode 10, uh, for some of you, should, are we putting this up today? Will it be up tomorrow? Oh, I'll try to put it up today. So happy 4th of July to uh, those of you in the U.S. Um, happy Wednesday to uh, everyone else, or Thursday. Happy Wednesday, rabbit. <laughs> Why did I know that was coming? Uh, big week, lots of stuff going on. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I guess I should tell everybody who we are. This is On Taking Pictures, and uh, this is a weekly podcast. We talk about the art and the science behind making images. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com, and on the other end of the internets is Bill Wadman, Hello. New York portrait photographer, fancy New York portrait photographer. Who's, who said that I should be fancy? Oh, who was it? We got a, we got a tweet that uh, asked if, if I would... <sighs> continue to refer to you as fancy wise ass <laughs> uh, who yeah. are these people who i do they think they are i don't know uh hey we've been getting a lot of feedback lately we from have. from listeners emails comments questions yep. um and Good that's stuff. very cool yeah uh yeah keep it up uh podcast at ontakingpictures.com is the email address um, do you want to start with uh, the, the 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 question that you answered the focal length question sure, yeah yeah, yeah kind of in that mode today so i so i got uh, uh i got an email from a listener named john burridge uh, and basically he was saying uh, i was taking some headshots for a friend a friend of a friend i'm sorry uh I began to experiment with focal lengths previously the widest i would go would be 50 millimeters uh but attaches my favorite pick which i shot at 24 uh, followed by another shot that I shot at 50, which seems dull and flat to me by comparison. I don't know if the 50 is to blame. I never would have picked that shot, but the 24 is so much has so much more life and depth to me that I felt like I had hit upon something. Even the lighting has more texture and natural vignetting, which I did not think would be affected. Uh, all said, subsequent shoots uh, have not really supported what I thought would be a revolution in my picture-taking. Other photographic subjects don't seem to hold up as well. Uh, and this is true. Some people look good in wide angle and some people don't. Now, this is assuming that you're at the same distance from people. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're wide angle and you're closer up to them, uh, you know, you there's a certain distortion that happens just because you're that close to somebody. And it's the same distortion that would happen if you were really up close to them with a 50, you know, at the same distance. It would just mm-hmm. that you'd see less of the depth of uh, less of the now, field of view. You tend to shoot pretty wide though your portraits are pretty wide um but most of the time i'm standing far enough back where the distortion isn't really an issue and i'm really just trying to get in more of the environment around them Mm -hmm. um so for me for me shooting wide is 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 about context of of the portrait and not really whereas this guy's shots he had to be pretty close especially for the 24 yeah actually he was probably i don't know a foot and a half away for the yeah, 24. That's close. Um, yeah, it's pretty wide. But see, this is the the girl he was shooting, this model, um, very pretty girl. So it, and and has features that it actually accentuated the good things and, and didn't take away the bad. Plus her her face is also almost dead center in the shot. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and with wide-angle lenses, you tend to get more distortion as you go outward um, towards the corner. So, like with her in the middle, is sort of the best of the best of uh, the best that could happen. Um, and so I answered this guy's question on the on the on my blog on the ontakingpictures.com website, mm-hmm. and uh, I will put a link in the show notes. Um, but it's kind of interesting. Basically, what I said was. Uh, wide angle can work for uh, portraits. I think I think that it it gives an intimacy that longer lenses don't do, because you are seeing somebody the way you would see them if you were that close to them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Rather when, than being ten yeah. feet away, so you can use your seventy to two hundred. Exactly, and okay. and and when people see the picture, I think that there's sort of an automatic translation that goes on. That, that that the human mind says, oh, that person is really far away from me, you know, if it's on a long lens or that kind of thing. Uh, where if it's a little wider and it's a little, has more of that sort of wide distortion, uh, which is just due to the distance to the subject, by the way, um, I, I think that there's an automatic connection that gets made between people as long as it's not so distorted that it looks weird. Sure. Um, I think 24 is kind of wide. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that that picture is the sort of best case example of, of that kind of thing. Did um, he, did he happen to say whether he was on a full sensor or a crop sensor? Uh, he, I think it's a full frame sensor. Yeah. Because the second half of the question, he asked whether if he just, if he used the 24 on a crop sensor, if that would, that would be like the best of both worlds. And, and that's sort of missing the point because sensor um, focal length is all related to field of view, right? It's like how much of what's in front of your lens you're taking in from left to right and top to bottom. And so a wide-angle lens on a cropped camera uh, has a multiplication factor, and it ends up acting as if it was a longer lens on a full-frame camera, if that makes sense. So, um, and, and with Canon, it's the, the multiplier is 1.6. So uh, a 24-millimeter uh, uh, lens on a crop sensor ends up acting like a 38 millimeter lens on a full frame body. Um, so, but you, you don't the the distortion doesn't change, does it? The compression doesn't change. Well, no, but but again, if it's just your field of view, yes. Well, yeah, but 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 you're be, to get the same shot, the same amount of stuff in the in the image. Uh, at, at with with the cropped lens, you back up or move forward. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sure. So, so then you're, it's it's back to that distance from subject that you that right. You so talk about. so okay. so essentially, you're you're it's like okay, yeah, I could use I could use the longer lens on or the wider lens on the cropped body, but like you would end up using essentially a 40 millimeter lens on a full frame body, and you would move forward or back to make that work. In which case, you're changing your distance to the subject and sort of you're sort of balancing out any thing any difference you've made you know mm-hmm. you could mm-hmm. take the same picture a 35 millimeter lens on a cropped body and a 50 millimeter lens on a full frame body um you would end up taking the same picture you know if if if, if, if they would they would give you almost identical results if you were if you had the same amount of her in the shot gotcha um so it's just it's interesting and and we had some good back and forth uh on the comments which is always fun. I like a, a lot, a little good back and forth, uh, which is a little fun. So anyway, yeah, good. It's a good question. It's a, it's a, it's a fun answer, and uh, we'll put that in there. You know, last night um, I found a blog post by a Mandy Wise, who apparently is a listener of ours. Hi, Mandy. Hi, Mandy. Um, <laughs> who uh, apparently listens to our stuff, likes our stuff, 
Actually, does she actually say she likes it or does she just I don't know that she said she liked it. I think she just said she listened to it. Ah, damn her. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) Mandy wrote a blog post, which I just found interesting because it kind of uh, goes along with uh, our talk about uh, the future of film. Right. That we talked about a couple. Yeah, she picked up uh, some Polaroid gear. Didn't she? Yeah, Polaroid, and then a Canonet rangefinder. Do you ever use a Canonet rangefinder? I have. I have never used a Canonet rangefinder. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. Okay, so Canon back in the 70s, I think it was, um, made is, these. Is, little... this, is this Canon's sort of knicker mat to, to Nikon? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, they're right. like they're like these little um, uh, fixed lens rangefinders. Okay. And they're not built all that well. If you ever see the movie Pecker. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's using a Canonet. Okay. Um, so they're little. They're these little Canon rangefinders. The problem is they're all over the place, and you can buy like you can buy them for fifty bucks on eBay. The problem with them is that the majority of them are busted ah. or broken in some way. Like they were not built very well, and so they're sort of uh, very temperamental. Um, so she she has one of those. She has a Pentax SLR, and then she bought a Hasselblad five hundred CM, which I know is your sort of dream camera. It's it's definitely one of them. Yep. Uh, it's a great it's a great camera. You should get one of those. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get right on that. I, I, in fact, you know what? I'm just going to take a break here and just go fondle my 500C. <laughs> I just hate you. Hate you. <laughs> I'm taking it. We come visit, I'm taking it. All right. You can, you can borrow it for the day. Um, yeah, so, borrow. That, that's what I meant. So she says that she has started shooting film, which is great, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things, basically what she comes down to is kind of what we said, that 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 film automatically gives you an object and even when they're no good even when she's got shots that are exposed wrong or out of focus she tends to keep them instead of throwing them out mm-hmm. where on a digital camera she just she'll throw out the the crappy ones to save a few bites on her computer yeah which there's I, something I think, about the object itself yeah regardless we, of the condition of the object right and i guess that gets back to the whole idea of like w- would making a print of some of these images be enough to make them real again you know some of the digital images yeah if, yeah, if, if we just so. printed our digital images more often w- would that be enough you know i i printed probably i don't know a dozen or so images last week and uh, admittedly none of them very good but as a as a small body as a as a as a cluster you know they kind of work they kind of they kind of i connect to them because i connect to to what i was doing when i took them sure and that's that's kind of the point for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and do you know this Impossible Project film is twenty five bucks a pack? Is that true? Is it really? That's according to what she said. I've never tried it because I don't have a little Polaroid. Um, for what ten ten shots? I think so. Ten or twelve. Huh. That's expensive. Um, anyway, what she the, she ends up she winds up and says, um, "Does that mean we ultimately end up creating and uh, and keeping better things with digital?" Or does it mean that we spend more time creating mediocre things until we get lucky because of the cost of minor failures is negligible? Um, That's a good point. And if so, is something inherent in the craft lost? And uh, and, I, I, and she says, I don't think these answers to the questions are obvious, but I think those are all excellent questions. And, Absolutely. Um, I think that people tend to take more mediocre pictures with digital, and but they are learning faster, so that sort of offsets it in some ways so that they end up you know, they know whether or not they got the shot so they can retake it a lot of times. Right. Um, I love I, that she calls herself a sentimental pack rat. Are you a sentimental pack rat? I kind of am. Yeah. I mean, that's why I print mediocre pictures because I, it, it's not, again, it's not the photograph. It's, 
it's what I was doing. You know, it, it, it's we did a post on Faded and Blurred about Yosemite um, day or two ago, and it, it's it's one of the reasons that I keep and and have printed my photographs of Yosemite. They're not good by any means. Um, there are hundreds of people that have photographed Yosemite much better than I ever will, but maybe even thousands. They, Man, wow. <laughs> wow. Okay. Maybe even thousands. No, go ahead. Uh, dick. Uh, but, but what they do is just by looking at them, just by holding them, I'm back there for a, for a bit. Yeah. That, and that's, that's, that's what I think is lost in digital. Yeah, is, absolutely. Or to a certain extent, and not always, okay? But, but to a certain extent, that's what I think is lost, is I can, I can look at these prints of you know uh, a portion of Yosemite walking up to Vernal Falls or or you know whatever it was and for a few moments I'm back there I connect with that again and, and that's you, and you don't think that look at flipping through pictures in Lightroom does that for me it it doesn't it's not as visceral no okay for me that's fair that's a perfectly reasonable way to do it. yeah yeah it's a it's it's a big question and it's uh, it's it's I don't know, kind of makes me go in circles sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it, it, at some because point I, you do you, go in you circles. You can't go you back and actually become a full-time film photographer again. That's next to impossible. Um, anyway, so Mandy, not, not yeah, not and shoot the volume that that seems to be required of of a photographer in in this kind of market. No, you know, it's funny when you when you just said uh, Yosemite. Did you have you watched this new newsroom show? Did we talk I about this last week? It. I don't have TV. Okay. You should probably get it if you like Aaron Sorkin stuff. Anyway, there's just this scene where at the beginning of the first episode where um, Jeff Bridges, not Jeff Bridges, what's his name? Oh, Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. is. Why do I know that? I haven't uh, even seen the show. Some, some girl gets up and she's like, so tell me why you think America is the greatest country in the world. And he goes on this diatribe on how we're really not the greatest country in the world, that we're like number fifth in this, number 23rd in that. You know, the only thing we're most in is that we spend more money on military and we have more people in prison, you know. And uh, at the end of it, he's just like, so when you ask me what the F, what, you know, or th- th- that if America's the greatest country in the world, I don't know what the F you're talking about. Yosemite? <laughs> Nice. So it's that's yeah. our high point. Yeah, and it's you know in some ways it's true, right? Um, that's, that's funny. Anyway, so Mandy, thank you for uh, yeah, thank you Mandy. writing about us and spreading the word. That's good, and uh, it's a good one. Hey, uh, so Saul Leiter, you sent this Saul to me Leiter. this morning. This is great. Uh, Saul Leiter, who we talked about on episode. Let's see, where was that? Two five, three? five. Was it five? Yeah, apparently, it was five. I made a list today. So we keep track and don't get be over overrun with ourselves. Um, Saul Leiter, uh, who was this really 90-year-old uh, color photographer from the 1950s mostly, but he's still alive. Uh, some Can guy... say he's at a gallery every Saturday? Yeah, people or, say or that he's at, he's at the Saul Greenberg Galleries on Saturday, but which, which I haven't gone and done, but I mean, I've met him otherwise, so I, I don't need to go meet him to shake his hand. Um, but yeah, apparently he hangs out at the Saul, I think it's the Saul Greenberg Galleries, which is That's where, who, who represents him. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a, apparently some guy has made a documentary uh, about Saul with all kinds of interviews and spending time with him at his place. Called In No Great Hurry, which In I love. In No Great Hurry. Isn't that a great title? I love that title. It's fantastic. I wonder if he actually says that in the, the, uh, in the, the show. Yeah, that he's in no great hurry. Yeah. 
So it's apparently uh, it, there's another site like Kickstarter called Indiegogo, which I've never heard of. Have you heard of this? I've not. Nope. The uh, first time was was when I saw this this link. Okay. So apparently there uh, they the guys got it. He shot it. He's edited it, and he just needs to raise some money to do the audio editing and get it finished and uh, pay the composer and all this kind of stuff. He's looking for I think ten grand. He's got like three grand already. Um, yeah, eighteen days left. So yeah, so we're gonna put the we're gonna put the link in the show notes and uh, try to support this guy because uh, Saul Lighter is fantastic, and I would love to actually see this finished in the right way. Uh, yeah. And there's there's and a little three minute uh, teaser trailer in there, which get, is actually really uh, cute. for a hundred dollars. You get a copy of the film. I don't know. <laughs> it's so awesome. Yeah, I yeah I. I would love to see this film. So, well, I think we can make that happen. Yeah. I mean, we, we, you, the, me the, the and our listeners thing, can make that right. happen. It, listeners, listeners can make it happen. The important thing is that it, it's shot, you know, and that uh, he yeah. was able to, to, to get what he wanted. Um, and now it's just sort of color grading and, and yeah. scoring and sweetening and that kind of thing. He looks pretty sweet in the show. Yeah. He seems like a really interesting fellow. Yeah. Doesn't he? You know what else is fascinating is how much of a mess his place is. Yeah, yeah, he's he's kind of borderline hoarder. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is which is, but it's almost kind of like you know what the dude's ninety something years old. Who cares? But wouldn't I mean? Wouldn't Maisel be a hoarder if he didn't have eight hundred thousand square feet to Jim, spread it out in? First of all, it's thirty five hundred thirty five thousand <laughs> square feet, and uh, Jay Maisel is a hoarder, <laughs> so. It's that's you know simple as that. He he has a lot of room, but he also has filled it all. Um, yeah, he's he's sort of a an organized hoarder, I think. Where yeah. uh, Saul seems to be a little more crazy, um, but it's a fascinating stuff. So uh, Saul Lighter documentary uh, in no great hurry. We're gonna put the link in the show notes. So everyone, if you are into such things, I think we should all try to support it if we can. Yeah, shoot him a few bucks and, and help him get that done. Um, so what do you think of uh, what's what's next? Uh, either, either your, uh, did you want to talk about your, your missing nub? Uh, <laughs> stupid Canon 5D uh, f- Mark III. Okay. Did you, first of all, did you find the nub or did it, did it fall off? Oh, it's and- gone. It fell off at Coney Island. Okay. Okay. So you didn't recover your, okay. No, I went to, I went to Coney Island the other night to go see Ghostbusters on the beach. Which in and of itself is super cool. Yeah. As Yo Gabba Gabba says, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Are you still watching it, aren't you? Bert no. has been gone a week. Quit watching. I Yo honestly Gabba don't. Gabba. I've seen all of them, I think, twice now. Uh, anyway, so uh, we went to see Ghostbusters down on the beach, and I had my camera, a little prime lens, on one of those uh, seatbelt straps that I bought last year from that Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And uh, added around my, you know, slung over my shoulder. And I'm walking around, and I pick the camera up, and I take a picture, and then I, like, go to zoom in and, zo- like, flip around on it. And I notice that the, the like, the, the little, you know, eight-way button nub thing on the back that lets you... A little thumb. It's like a little thumb joystick. Joystick, yeah. Yeah. That, that, the, that the, the top of it, like, the plastic part is just gone. Like, and what I'm actually manipulating is the thing that it attaches to underneath inside. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like, where the hell did that go? And it must have, like, fallen off or flipped off or something as I was walking around. And it just got me thinking about the fact that this is a $3,500 body. Right. $3,500. You could buy a car for $3,500. Yeah. 
Which they fixed the previous issue with uh, electrical tape. Right. Which, so you know what, is, is a perfectly fine answer to the other problem. Uh, so I, I personally don't have a problem with that. And the other problem was sort of a non-problem for 99.999% of the users anyway. But it's, but this is kind of like, really? Like, I spent almost $4,000 on a body and it parts of it are falling off as it's around my neck. And you've had it all of, what, a month? Six weeks? A couple months, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I am a little disappointed in that. And I, I got to call Canon tomorrow. And, and kind of figure out how to get this. Because I don't want to have to send in my camera and not have it for a week for them to put a new plastic nub on it. Well, I'm hoping they, they could just send you, me a new plastic nub. You had some sensor weirdness, too. You had kind of a... It's almost like a posterized. Like a, it was like an 80s thing. That, <laughs> yeah. So what la- was that? So Did last that ever week, happen again? Uh, not, not yet. So last week, I uh, was taking pictures of this guy, Noah Scallon, in uh, the store Evolution. Did we talk about this last week that I was going to do this? You and Maybe. I did. Okay. I don't think we uh, talked about it on the show, but we talked about it offline. It's like a, a taxidermy shop in New York, yeah? Yeah, they sell like skulls and, and, and you know, uh, insects in, in amber and encased in plastic and all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, and so they uh, – let me just put this in the show notes. Uh, so I go there to take these pictures of this Noah Scallon guy. But he, he's a guy who did the Skull a Day project. I don't know if you ever saw this on the internet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, he hired me to do some portraits of him. And he knows a guy who works at this evolution place. So we went down there. Uh, he came up from, I think he lives down in Virginia. And he was up in town. We went over there. And we were taking some portraits. And I'm like 80 pictures in. And I take a picture. And I look, I glance at the screen, which I'm not like a huge chimper, I guess is the correct term. Is it chimping? Isn't chimping. That right? Yeah. To chimp. Uh, yeah. I, I don't usually chimp. But I was just making sure like the lights were popping and everything. The exposure was okay. And I noticed that the picture I had just taken was like this crazy, like kaleidoscope shot. It, it, it's, it's like the data that was coming off the sensor got completely corrupted in this very, very strange way. Uh, yeah, it looks uh, posterized. It's like uh, mm-hmm. big chunks of it are, are purple and green and, and the top got shifted to the bottom and the right got shifted to the left and there was all this kind of stuff. The crazy thing is that this wasn't just in the preview data this was actually the raw data because when i pulled it into lightroom that's still what i got uh and i and i ended up cycling the power off and on and everything kind of came back the way it should so it seems to have fixed itself but it's very odd mm-hmm. and it hasn't happened since uh no it hasn't happened since weird it's yeah, like I'm curious weird. to see if anybody. So if anybody out there is a is a 5D three user and has had some sort of sensor weirdness, right in and, and you know, uh, I'd be curious to hear. I, mean, about I had that. the 5D Mark II before that, which I've shot 150 thousand frames on. I shot 150 thousand frames on the original 5D. I shot you know tens of thousands on a 20D, tens of thousands on a digital Rebel. I've never had this happen. Hmm. You know, I've literally probably shot half a million images on Canon digital SLRs and I've never seen this. Yeah. Very strange. Yeah. Uh, but the upside is it is it's kind of a cool shot. Yeah. I almost wish I could figure out how to do this on purpose. <laughs> and somebody else was telling me that they had a phone or something do it a couple times. I think huh. it has to do with some sort of error. It must be some bug in the software that some strange bug that has to do with it, the way that the computer in the uh, camera is pulling the data off the sensor. Because that's kind of what it seems like. It seems like things somehow got inverted and shifted and, and messed up. Um, some sort like some sort of write error. 
because it seems to be it seems to be grabbing all of the correct data. It's it's just interpreting not it writing yeah. it or interpreting it correctly. Yeah, everything's like shifted a couple of bytes or something. Yeah, it's it's funky. It's very uh very 1980s. If I was making a Max Headroom TV show, yeah, uh, it would work in your, in your studio apartment with your Patrick Nagel prints hanging on the wall. Yes, yes, yeah, sure. You like that? You like that Max Headroom? That guy's on. I, that guy's on Eureka sometimes. Matt Frewer yeah. is his name. Yeah, uh, he was also in Fifty Fifty. Did you see that? No. Which one was that? About the, about the kid that got cancer. Oh, I didn't see that. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Good uh, flick. Anyway. I'll, I'll look forward to watching that one. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what I, you know what? I need Jeffrey more cancer in my life. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Me too. Um, uh, okay. Olympic portraits. Let's, let's jump on that real oh, quick. Wait, wait, and then wait, we want to talk about be, workflow. Right. right? Be, well, yeah. But before we get to that. Oh, Jesus. Now what? I just wanted to say that I used this little tiny 16-inch softbox on this shoot. At, at the at the at the, at the taxidermy shop place yeah. yeah with a speed light amazing like i'll put another like in the show notes of one of the example shots and it this light's really really nice mm-hmm. and the uh it, it's 40 dollars for this softbox and it comes with the bracket that goes on the stand so you can spend like 50 bucks on the little like manfrotto six foot stand this thing for 40 bucks and like any speed light i had an sb80 in there on manual that was getting triggered by an on-camera flash I had just sort of like bouncing off the wall behind me just for like overall illumination. Mm-hmm. And uh, the light, I can't believe the light I was getting out of this $40, $40 16-inch little tiny speed light softbox. I mean, I wouldn't light a group of people with it. But, but for single portraits and whatnot? Single person. It was it was great. And you could handle it. You got the one it. with uh, the, the dual baffle. Did you use both? Yes. You only use- I just leave yeah. it built in. And it just kind of folds up sort of like a, a almost a... Similar to a diffuser kind of thing, you know, like it just sure. kind of folds it half and half again. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually not that big. I just, I, I'll, I'm going to put a link in show notes. I think they, Adorama has them up on Amazon and stuff. So I'll just, I'll put a link in show notes. But I, I'm, look, it's not, it, I wouldn't take it if it was my only thing that I was taking into the Serengeti for six months. But for 40 bucks, you can't go wrong. Um, yeah. It was, it's pretty cool stuff. Uh, so yeah, the Olympic thing. What do you got? Olympic thing. Uh, well, this has been kind of everywhere at this point. Um, the official portraits of of the Olympic team uh, were taken. And These are the official portraits? It's the Olympic team invited photographers to take pictures of the country's best athletes. Okay. And uh, they, they, they just didn't turn out very well. Now, who is the photographer on these things? Um, the guy, his name is Joe Clamar. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Okay. Clamar, Clamar. It's K-L-A-M-A-R. Uh, and he was at the the, uh, the Olympic Committee's, the media summit in Dallas. Um, and uh, people are really upset at how the athletes were, were represented in these. Because they, they just, they kind of look slapped together, to be honest. Well, okay. Uh, I agree. They are not great photographs, right? Um However, let's say somebody said, you need to take pictures of 50 people and you have 10 minutes apiece with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you need to do something different for each shot. You know, and you're just messing around on white paper and stuff like that. Okay, um, fine. But but couldn't you at least post out the tears in the white seamless? Couldn't yeah. you, you know, it, it, it looks like they were straight from the camera. Well, they might be straight from the camera. Yeah. Uh, the only one I, I really like, I like the badminton guy. I mean, it's a cliche shot, but I like it with him with the racket in front of his face. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but all these ones of people just holding up flags behind them. Yeah. I don't get that at all. Well, and, and here's the problem. Um, for me, at least, a month ago or so. Uh, you also have to remember that these people are not used to getting their pictures taken. So these people no. could be very difficult to photograph as well. And, and I'm just giving they, the guy the benefit of the doubt. Sure, and they might be. But you look at, at the photos that, that Annie Leibovitz did for Vogue. Yes. And whether you love Annie or hate Annie is not is not the argument here. But I'm just trying to say that something could have been done. Yes. Oh, could they be better than this? Of course they could. And yes, Annie did a better job. She also had models with them. She also probably had six hours apiece with them and a team of 15 people setting up lights. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a budget of a hundred thousand dollars, you know, like yeah. Um, so it, it, it no, it's it is it is it is true that these are not the best pictures ever. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I don't want to disparage the guy too much. Well, I'm not I'm not disparaging. I'm, I'm the photographer so much as this is the representation that they're putting out to the world of not only the Olympic team but but to a large degree of the USA. Yeah, yeah, it's true. But are, wait, are these like the official ones that everyone's going to use? Uh, I'm not sure where they're going to be used or at this point whether they will be used um, because of, uh, I mean, the, 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 there's an enormous amount of... of these do feel like pictures that were man. taken by somebody who hasn't taken pictures for very long, mm-hmm. who's just messing around with studio lights. I mean, in many ways, you'd be much better off setting up a very minimalist sort of portrait setting with, with lights and a little, you know, maybe just a little rim light or a hair light, just something to sort of pull the people away from the background and just do like typical straight portraits of them in their, in their uniforms. Sure. Um, I mean, that, that might be the better way to go. Um, yeah. It's like weightlifting stuff. Yeah. These are pretty bad. People yeah. make us, st- yeah. You know, it's funny though, that like before the internet, who would have gotten mad about this stuff? Well, before the internet, who would have seen them to, well, to, that's, to such that's a, a large good point degree? Too. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's uh, yeah, this stuff's fascinating to me. Anyway, so there it is. We'll put a link in the show notes and and see what you guys think. Um, chime in if you feel like you need to. We're chiming in. <laughs> Are we chiming in? Uh, so I just so, want, I want to do a little follow up on last week. Okay. And we were talking about. Uh, portfolios and, and printing and, and, and how you show people what you show them and how to select and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Editing was a, was the big topic for last week. Right. For those of you who have missed it, and I know there aren't very many because you listen to every episode. They do. Right? Don't, don't they listen to every episode? I hope so. <laughs> uh, yeah, I thought last week was a good one. And I just, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, websites because I've been sort of toying with my own. Well, you—I mean—to be fair, you've you've been kind of on the fence, and and I don't want to say unhappy, but you've been not as happy as antsy. you could be with your site. Yeah, yeah. I'm always, but see, I'm always antsy about my website. Mm-hmm. Um, I for for those of you who don't know, before I was a photographer, I used to do art direction and advertising for years. So I, I and I've I've done my fair share of of you know HTML and flash coding and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, so I, I do my own, I make my own websites and, and I go back and forth about what, what I, what it is that I'm trying to accomplish. Right. Um, my current site is all big images. So if you go to billwadman.com, you basically just get full screen or full, uh, full bleed yeah. as much as full, possible full window. Yeah. Uh, images and you cycle through one by one by one. 
which I think is fairly successful. Um, the thing that I don't like about it and that, that worries me about it um, is the fact that if somebody comes to my site and they don't like the first image or the second image, they're gone. Right. You know, and it, so, it may be the 10th or 15th or 30th image that strikes them, but they'll never let themselves get there. Right. And exactly. that, that's always the challenge of UI design, especially for visual artists, is how do I balance what I want to show you with stickiness to keep you looking? Exactly. So I've been going back and forth about all this. And, and last night I was kind of thinking about some of those sites that do sort of the reflowing of images. Mm-hmm. Responsive uh, layouts. Well, yes, but not just that, but just, uh, I mean, just a big giant grid of images that you could then click on, essentially. Sure. Um, so I, I, I did some work, and actually, you know what? We might as well let people take a look at this. So I, I've been playing with it. At, at, it's uh, billwadman.com slash proto, P-R-O-T-O. And uh, I just threw a, a concophony of images in there. Um, and and so it pulls all these thumbnails in and it lays them out in sort of this crazy grid that you can scroll up and down. And if one of the images strikes your fancy, you can click on it and you end up getting it in sort of a, a light box sort of overlay uh, larger. Okay, here, here's let me just jump in here for a sec. Here's what I, what I love about this and sites like it. Um, Drilling down through galleries and portfolios that have been pre-organized um, is, is indeed great for organization. But from a user perspective, I don't know what I'm going to want to see. And to your point earlier about having to sit and look through everything to try and get to something I like, I tend to prefer things like this that I can quickly scan and see, A, do you have a body of work that I'm interested in? And then B, is, is there a, a selection of images? Are there a selection of images that I, that I feel I'm going to connect with and I can look at those? You know, right, rather no, than sure. wading through uh, your entire, I don't know, is, what is the difference between a conceptual portrait and a traditional portrait in your mind? You know, you have to kind of second guess what the artist or the photographer is, is wanting to... Um, label things or how they're labeling things whereas something uh, straightforward I feel like I'm looking at rolls and rolls of film or or a contact sheet is, is kind of the obvious metaphor yeah, but I sure. like that metaphor uh, I think that the way I currently have it with the big images is much more like you're flipping through a book right sure it's or yeah. a stack of prints or it's, an it's iPad, much more control screen type sure. of thing yeah um, the thing that I like about that is that it doesn't overwhelm what you're looking at, right? You're not looking at 50 pictures. You're looking mm -hmm. at one picture at a time. And I think that people tend to look deeper into images when they're not overwhelmed with choice. Sure. And that's larger. Uh, most of the reason why I did that was, was to, to sort of reduce it down to look, here's a set of images that I want you to see. Just flip through them one by one and have an experience looking at them. Okay. So maybe, maybe there's a happy medium with this particular layout, maybe you bring in, uh, and I, I'm sure you can do it with jQuery or something, where you bring in a slider and allow people, you know, three different sizes, if you will, of of, of these thumbnails. Yeah. So if they don't want to have 20 images across, you can view this grid at 10 images across or eight images yeah. across. Yeah. I mean, you it's know? also, the other thing is that with, with a grid kind of thing, you 
you have to then uh, have basically two sets of images because you don't want to be loading thousand pixel things and shrinking them down because the sure. So you have ones that are two fifty square or you know on their long axis, and then you're shrinking them down, and and then you have to have a full set. So you like when you're updating your site, you have to deal with two sets of images, which is just something that I always try to avoid whenever possible. Well, it's it's definitely a balancing act, and yeah. and I think for for a lot of photographers that. I think you're in the minority in first of all in in coding your own site. Right. Um well, definitely use a minority. live books. Yeah, I mean there's live books, there's smug mug, there's zenfolio, you know, any number of 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 portfolio alternatives out there. But I think the bigger que- question is how do you see or how do you want to be seen by people that are going to your site and who's going to your site? That's another yeah. thing. Are well, you are you business to business? Are you business to consumer? Right. Well, the, and- the, 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 one of the things that I was toying with and, and has been bothering me, which I thought we'd talk about on the show here, is when, when I, I was looking at this last night and I, and I threw a bunch of stuff that I've, I've keep collections in Lightroom of the stuff that's sort of like my best work or whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. So this is sort of my portfolio and I, I throw stuff in there and I take stuff out and I, it, it's, it's sort of like if I ever have to show somebody a bunch of stuff, like I can just click on this folder and it'll pull up all the good stuff. Um, the, the, the thing that bothers me about it is that I was, I, I exported all that and I put it into this thing and you'll see the stuff in the grid last night at midnight while I'm staring at these images, I did not like them. Like I, I had one of those "Wow, my work sucks" kind of moments. You know? Yeah, but the, the, but that people could be always a get that, things. right? Yeah, no, it can be, and and I guess it, that sort of brings up this whole i this whole sort of cyclical process that you go through, where there are sometimes when you think that nothing you've done is any good, and then there's sometimes you think you could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, but um, everybody goes through that. Whether no, you're absolutely. whether you're you or Karsh yeah. or McNally right. or you know, whoever but it is. For, but for some reason. When looking at a giant grid of images, that is mu- even more uh, not apparent, but more uh, raw. You know. Okay, so it's a little more overwhelming when you're seeing fifty images that you're not happy with suddenly, instead of just yeah. one or two. And somehow okay. I feel like the images, when they're individual, like when I bring them up full screen, I was like, okay, no, that's a good image. That's a good image. I like that one. But when I look at a cacophony of them, for some reason. It it kind of makes me step back and go ooh, which I just I just find interesting, and I don't know if that's just my own perception or if that's you know uh, intrinsic in looking at a giant grid of images. I mean, part of it is that I don't take the same stuff all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's some people when you put up a grid of images, it's a much more contiguous set. Sure, you know they they have a similar look or they they have a similar coloring or that kind of stuff. I mean, if you're a fashion shooter and you put up a bunch of stuff that was shot on white and black seamless, you're going to get a much smoother set than I have here. Sure. Um, And I I just, I wonder if that plays into it too. I I don't, I don't think it, it doesn't not play into it. I mean, I'm sure that, that on some level you're being, and I think all photographers do this. They, they, or most of them, they, they become hypercritical of their work on some days more than others. I mean, I, I know I do that on, on my, my paintings. I, some days I think I'll never pick up a brush again and I probably shouldn't ever pick up a brush again. But then I look at something and go, you know what? I, I really like what I did on these and I'd like to get there again. F- for me, it's the, 
I'd like to get there again that screws me up. It's it's the 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 fear of trying to recreate something. Well, yeah, I mean, it's if you're trying, it, you'll never get there. That's right. There there's that fear of I did this, but now I've got to do it again. So that paralyzes me because I don't want to not be able to do it. Sure. You know, I don't want to be able to not paint that particular thing or, or in your case, I don't want to be able to not nail that portrait yeah. you know, the way yeah. I think I did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of photographers, a lot of creatives, I think it's, it's, it's just, it's intrinsic to creating something outside of yourself is, is you, you fear not being able to do it again. You know, uh, no, absolutely. This, it happens all the time. And, yeah. and I, you're completely right. Um, I think that, I think that the, the, it's funny when the best pictures I take are usually when I'm on some sort of roll, right? When you're, when you're shooting or you're painting all the time and, and you kind of push through and you get to the point where you're sort of in the zone, you know, you have that flow kind of thing going. Sure. Um, I think lately for myself, part of my problem with my images is that I don't feel like I'm shooting as much as I'd like to be shooting. Um, the problem with being a portrait shooter is that you need people, right? And that complicates everything. So if you don't have work every day or only a couple times a week and you want to be shooting every day, finding people to shoot can become a problem, you know? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a little easier, I would imagine, for you, A, being in New York, but, but also because you, you have a lot of people in your circle that you can just kind of reach out to. Yeah, and I do, um, yeah. Um, now, but for you those know, using the same people over and over again. Sure, but for those that don't, uh, you can post to Twitter. I've seen a number of photographers go, "Hey, you know what? I, I'm doing this thing. I I need some people. You know, if you can do it, meet me here." Yeah, no, uh, and I guess the, the 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 economic problem with that is that if you do that too much, then people don't hire you because they just figure they'll sign up for when you're doing it for free. Sure, you know. So there's. There's that, there's that sort of angle too, you know, um, where you have to, you have to maintain a certain level of, of, of work, um, for yourself, you know, to pay the rent as it were. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, it's, it's just, it's a very different way of looking at it. More of like a, a holistic view of my work kind of website versus a, uh, a, 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 a longer or a, a more defined one. Sure. Image by image. Well, I, Okay, I, I like the contact sheet metaphor, um, but I, I also like the sort of scalable thumbnail idea, you know, where you can, you can allow the viewer to whittle this down and not see so many. Right. Yeah. You know, because it is. I mean, if you're looking at this, you've got a grid of, okay, the way my screen is open. I think I have got, 80 pictures in here or something. Okay. Total. Which yeah. is actually I mean, not that many. It, no, it's not. And it's, it's nice to be able to just sort of quickly go, yeah, okay, there's some cool stuff in here. And now I'll take the time to go through it. Yeah. You know, rather than the single image for me, single image portfolios or single image at a time portfolios, I should say. Um, it's, it's sort of like a slot machine. You know, I, sure. I keep pulling the handle hoping to get to one that, that, that I, that's a winner for, for me. And that's, you know, it's, it, it does become very personal, but I think in, in a, in kind of an, uh, an arena where people want things faster, better, you know, you've got me for 12 seconds and then I'm moving on regardless. This type of a layout for a website or something similar to this allows people to very quickly see 
if 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 you're even in their ballpark, sure. Okay, if if you're even in their grid, uh, as it were, and then they can kind of go, well, you know, there's some cool stuff in here. I, I want to drill down further. It actually is pretty interesting on an iPhone. I just clicked on it on an iPhone, which is kind of funky. It's strange, like how how different things look, you know. Sure, and how different the experience becomes. Yeah. Um, um, to that point, if if you're not if your website, not you, but listeners, if your website is not mobile friendly, um, make, make sure that, that a it priority. is. Yeah, make I, that a priority. I used to build all my stuff in Flash because I used to do all this crazy XML kind of base stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like a year and a half ago, I switched to not using Flash, and I I, I think it was a good move. Um, but it's, it's a great move. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 changes things a lot, and and my HTML fanciness has gotten better. But uh, yeah, it's it's nice to be able to see the same thing on multiple. Uh, sure. On, on multiple and and with with such man, how many sites do you go to that are all like just really thick Flash too? Like my Flash was always like, oh, there's a 35k Flash movie Swift that's loading right. in a bunch of other stuff. Hey, Flash can still be great. You know, I was I was a Flash developer for a long time, and Flash can still be great for certain things, but it doesn't allow you the widest possible reach in the changing habits of viewers. Yep. You know, we're seeing smartphones everywhere. We're seeing ta- the tablet sphere growing at an exponential rate. Yep. And you know, if 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 your goal is to get your work seen by as many people as possible, then you want to do the work on the front end. Uh, or on the back end to to allow it to be seen by as many people as possible. And if yeah. if you're not mobile friendly or tablet friendly, uh, you're potentially missing out on an enormous number of eyes. And that yeah. number is growing and growing and growing. People, uh, yeah, people like looking at stuff on their tablets. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, I mean, if I'm just ca- if I'm not working, if I'm just casually. You know, surfing around or browsing or looking for inspiration or looking for things to write about. I'm not on my computer. I'm on my iPad. Yeah. Well, now we have to worry about this whole you know high DPI thing. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Because then you're then you're putting up three thousand pixel images on your website. You know, but it's it's weird. I I went and looked at. I don't have an iPad three. I've got uh, the first edition, Uh, and I went and looked at fittedblur.com on one of the iPad threes. And it displays exactly the same way as it does on an iPad 1 in terms of, of the width of the content. Yep. Um, which I wasn't expecting. I was expecting it to go wider and, and, and be treated basically the same way it's, as it's treated on my, on my display here at home. Yeah, no, it's, it's not, they don't make it so that it's actually, um, it's, it's, it's really just that they double the pixels when possible. Right. Yeah. Right. And and apparently that's on an application level. Yep. So it's it's not a global, you know, you're going to look at your website on on one of the new Retina uh MacBook Pros or or an iPad and it's and it's going to look horrible. It's kind of Well, it's not going to look horrible, but it's not going to look high DPI, you know what I mean? Sure. It's going to look a little fuzzy if you're looking at these lower res images on this super high res screen. Um, well, but- and I think we've got some time. You know, I, I, I think we've got some time before it's an enormous issue where you go, oh, my God, I've got to shoot everything. Or I've got to re, re-export everything, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, the MacBook Pro is, is the only one at that level at the moment. Um, doesn't look like iMacs are going to make it into the retinas space on this next rev. 
Can yeah. you imagine that? A 27-inch retina display? I'm not going to update my monitor, which is a 30-inch NEC, for until they go high DPI. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not. there's nothing that they're going to add between then and now that makes me want a new one, you know. Uh, so if that's two years from now, then I'll just wait two years. But I think it's important for photographers especially and, and you know, visual artists of any kind really to at least be aware of some of these changes and be aware of, of – how your work looks you know one of the one of the things that designers and 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 creatives can fall into is building content for themselves and the bottom line is you are not your audience you are not your market more often than not sure so uh it's important to build and and to a certain degree tailor your content to that market and and look at it and when you're when you're building your websites or when you're when you're looking at your portfolios look at it on as many devices as possible look at it in multiple browsers yeah. so you can see how these things are going to be affected because all the browsers display things a little bit differently yeah. i have a i have a friend who's like a big still does a lot of like big flash development for ads and those and websites and stuff and he still works on like two 19 inch kind of crappy monitors like 1024 by 768 and he's just sure. like well because you know no one that I'm working for is looking at it any higher res, even though I think to myself, wow, you really should just be using higher res and then shrinking your browser window to test because yeah. you're going to have such a better experience. But for him, it's like, no, I'm going to use five-year-old monitors. Yeah, and look um, at it the way our audience is going to see it. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I think that he's actually probably a little bit behind the times because I think a lot more people have newer stuff than he thinks. Um, hmm. Anyway, just... Crazy stuff. Oh, by the way, we got some uh, feedback on the whole question last week of uh, using somebody else's work. Remember that girl? Um, oh, right, right, right. So, yeah. So a listener named Joseph Shelley. Joe Shelley. Joseph Shelley? I don't know. Let's say Joseph because he says Joseph. Um, lives up in Vermont. And he says, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. I recently converted to photo from video via digital SLR craze. And I'm currently amassing his, his own portfolio. Um, I guess I'm way more forgiving, but I think the person you discussed does deserve a second chance. Part of me doubts she'll be able to recover based on her own work. Otherwise, she wouldn't have needed to plagiarize in the first place. But if she's able to put together a body of work that's enough quality to attract work, good for her. Her actions were far too naive, maybe a bit even dim-witted, for me to think that she's able to carry on successful to be successful on her own, but as my father used to say, uh, <laughs> expletive floats. And in a world where pictures of kittens, Thomas Kincaid and Anne Geddes are are what the masses desire, she may have a very promising career ahead of her. Perhaps my views would be different if I was completely reliant upon photography for my income, and had someone abuse my work as she did. But I don't think so. My question for you is, uh, where does the line sit for work uh, that he does for graphic design? I often use stock and public domain images to supplement those designs. Uh, I never claim those images are mine, but I do believe the designs. Okay, well, okay, that's a, that's a real simple answer. Yeah, it's stock and it's public domain. Yeah, which they're is designed the for use by other people. Yep, you know that 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 is that is in fact what the industry is based on yep. is I'm going to put this up so that you can use this in your own project, forum, venue, yep. et cetera. Yeah. Much different than me taking, uh, you know, this party image and uh, selectively changing the color of the couch and passing it off as my own. 
Exactly. Yes. And completely and, different market. And, and putting your um, watermark on it and sure. all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Sure. I, I, personally, I have not softened on my view of this woman, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm cranky again, so maybe that's why. Yeah. I don't know. No, very, very, I mean, good question and, and, you know, thank you for it, but very, very different arenas. Um, I use stock images in design work in, you know, people, a lot of clients don't want to pay for custom photography and stock photographs or, or public domain photographs suit their needs just fine. Yep. Uh, and, and I have, I have no problem. I mean, that's what those, those resources are for. And, and I'm, I'm actually thankful that they exist. Uh, but I don't go off and try and pass that, pass that off as my own work, nor do I think you would in your design work. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but I just, I, he wrote in, so I thought I'd read that one on the air. Uh, all right. So let's, uh, let's do photographer of the week. I want I want to do workflow, but I want to take take more time to do it. So let's okay. Just do so that next next week. next week we'll do workflow. Um, still trying to figure out a live thing where take questions. Yeah, talk we got an ice cast. Is that is that the solution that we've? That yeah, we, we could, we could probably cast? ice cast and then. Uh, maybe, I'd rather not do video. I think no, no, a, no. it eats up we'll, a ton of bandwidth. We'll just do we'll just do audio ice cast, uh, and then we can. Um, uh, and we can somebody can listen in a browser. Maybe we could even set it up to just have it on the website when we're live. And we can tweet be, and tell people. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll. And they we'll can they that. can tweet. We can do the the what's it called as a Twitter stream. Yeah. Okay. Ha- hashtag. Hashtag OTP. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. We will figure that out for next week. Uh, photographer of the week. Who do we got? Uh, who were we gonna? Now I'm completely drawing a blank. <laughs> oh my god! I want to wait I'm till an, you figure this out. I'm an idiot. You are. Wait. Wait. It was. Uh, Come on, Jeffrey. Oh, jeez. Why did I not? He oh. lives in the South. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, Eggleston. William Eggleston. That's right. Oh, I'm an idiot. We've, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, gang. <laughs> um, I love how you just sit there and let me sweat on this, too. Oh, wasting uh, people's time. You kidding me? No. Douche. Not wasting my time. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't seen William Eggleston's work, uh, well, I don't know where you've been. Um, yes. Eggleston is, is, you know... As much as Saul Leiter was taking pictures in color and people ended up loving them, uh, you know, years and years later, um, up until the 1970s, black and white photography was the only fine art photography. People did not put up color photographs in art no, museums. That back was in the for day. snapshots and family photos. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, Eggleston was arguably the first person to sort of break through the color barrier. <laughs> Uh, with uh, by having a show at MoMA in the 70s, um, in 1976. Uh, interesting. So, yeah, he he had his first portfolio entitled 14 Pictures in 1974, uh, and then in 1976, his work was exhibited at MoMA. Uh, the MoMA show was regarded as a watershed moment in the history of photography, marking the acceptance of color photography by the highest validating institution. Uh, if you if you go back and you look at it, um, the the work in that original show is is in a book called William Eggleston's Guide, which yeah, is I think sort it's of out of print, isn't it? Or is it still? In print? Uh, I'm sure you can get some sort of version of it on Amazon. Uh, the thing about William Eggleston's Guide is that literally it's probably one of the top 25 most important photographic books in history. I mean, that's that book is huge. Um, 
I personally do not have that book, but I do have a book at uh, at the Whitney a few years ago. They had a big, giant, like two floor uh, stuff of his show, uh, and the book that went with it was called Democratic Camera: Photographs and Video, nineteen sixty one to two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book is beautiful. The printing is great. The color's great. It's you know pretty big. It's like ten by thirteen or fourteen, and uh, and you can definitely get this on Amazon. Um, but even just going and looking at uh, his work, I mean, he walks around with these cameras and he just takes pictures of life around him. Yeah. Uh, and and if you ever see interviews of 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 Bill Eggleston, he is notoriously strange. Um, he's he's he comes from I think like Mississippi or Alabama. He comes from the South. And from what I understand, he his he had family money and he's never really worked a day in his life. Right. So he just like walks around and takes pictures and like lives on his like family's rundown estate somewhere. Um and so he's just he he's just like this artist and people will ask him questions. There was in that uh Genius of Photography show that the BBC did, they showed some scenes of him taking questions from reporters and they're just like, you know, you know, do you, do you see yourself as related to the painter Edward Hopper? And he like, you know, how, how do you see that? And he holds up his mic and he goes, no. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> and that's yeah. it. Like, that's his whole answer. You know, and he'll say things like, that's the stupidest question I ever heard, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he's a handful. And there was a yeah. there's a documentary a couple of years ago. Uh, it's actually a while back now called uh, William Eggleston in his world. I think it's called uh, which follows him and his son walking around in the middle of like some downtown somewhere and they show him shooting uh and then they show him like hanging out at his house drunk with his friends and it's all very very strange um i do not know that i'd like him personally and i don't always like all of his images but if you go look at a lot of william eggleston's work he is a monster yeah Yeah, he's a character Um, uh we've got a spotlight on him that we did called perfectly banal uh, that maybe we can link to in the show notes. We can totally put that uh, in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, he literally walks around with a camera. He uses all kinds of cameras, um, almost always shooting color. And he'll find, you know, a rundown building and take pictures of it. He'll take pictures of of children's toys on the ground. He'll take pictures of people, sort of these wide-angle portraits of, of, of people. There's a classic shot of a shower stall, this green mm-hmm. shower stall that I really love. And the cover of uh, the second Big Star record, I think it was, was the picture of this uh, light fixture on the, on the ceiling of a really red room with all these like cables kind of snaking towards it. Right. Which right. is a really famous shot of his. Very uh, harsh. Yes. Like, it's, it, it looks like you just went down into somebody's basement and yeah. there were, you know, yeah, air he, bulbs Yeah, he everywhere. uses sort of on-camera flash kind of thing a lot, and, and, but in a way that Terry Richardson only wishes he was doing. Um, the thing that I really, the thing that sort of made Eggleston stand out, and when you go see his prints in person, a lot of times is that the, he uh, he used, or not him, he had done uh, what what are called dye transfer prints. Mm-hmm. Do you know how this works? This is crazy. Uh, yeah, Rauschenberg did it too. Yeah, so but. there's there's these guys who they basically separate the photo into uh, RGB, I think, or maybe CMYK rather. Um, and then they print, they use filters to filter out the light. They print those specific channels, as it were, uh, onto this die. And then the die is like physically transferred onto a piece of paper and they overlay them one by one. Right. 
And it's similar to like a silkscreen process where you're doing each color individually. Exactly. In respect. And, and, but obviously the accuracy of, of overlaying them has to be tragically tight. You oh, know, sure. Tolerances for this to work. Um, for last time I looked a couple of years ago, there was one guy who still had supplies and was doing dye transfer prints and they cost thousands of dollars each. Wow. Um, but one of the offsets of them, one of the reasons why he would do this is because you would get these incredibly vibrant, saturated colors, mm-hmm. you know, these, these, these primary colors, like in a lot of his pictures. So his prints sort of like sort of bounce off the page and they really do. They really do look like that if you see real ones in person. Um, but of course you can't get them now and digital printing has gotten a lot better. So I think that we're sort of moving away from that. But, but the whole idea of dye transfer prints is just insane. I mean, talk about creating an object, you know, Sure. Like, I mean, that literally is like making that, you know, making any print in a dark room by hand is, is, is art in itself, but this is like on a whole other level. Yeah. Um, these guys are crazy. I mean, think about it. The exposure on each one of the layers has to be exactly this, you know, exactly right. And then you're trying mm-hmm. to overlay them and you screw up one, you screw up all of them. Yeah. That's, that's for people with certain anal tendencies that I don't really understand. Um, which is saying something coming from you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> we should, uh, let's see. Die transfer. We'll have to, I'm going to have to find, uh, I yeah, there's, there's an a- article. Um, when we, we did one on, uh, on Rauschenberg and they were, they were talking about it and, and well, Rauschenberg actually, he even went further and used vegetable dye from actual plant matter. So he kind of really? made his own colors and then did the whole dye transfer bit. Yeah. That's, that's see, that's just crazy. Dye transfer. This, this is like, these people are crazy, but pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Interesting stuff. I mean, he, he, he definitely, uh, made a career to an extent about, by showing kind of the ugliness rather than the beauty of his surroundings. Yes. Yeah. And and in that made that ugliness beautiful, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and, and Eggleston's one of those guys, you feel like if you were inside your head, you'd probably be scared and run out if you were inside <laughs> his head. Um, he's definitely that kind of guy. Yeah. But, uh, so, uh, William Eggleston, uh, this is probably an obvious one for everyone, but, uh, go check him out if yeah. you haven't. Uh, anything else you want to add? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, if you, well, yeah, sure. If you like the this, show, this one felt really like... laid back though for, I guess it's the holiday. This show? Yeah. It's a, it's a holiday. Okay. Maybe that's it. So go, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, we always love hearing from you. So keep the emails coming podcast at ontakingpictures.com or, uh, Leave a rating or a review on the iTunes store. It helps yeah. people find us and see where we're at. And uh, and if you go on, uh, if you go to ontakingpictures.com, you can find the show notes for each episode interlaid in the rest of the blog posts that I put up there. Now, are, um, are the show notes are they in? They're in the feed, right? Uh, they are so, in the feed, but the way the links come out, it's kind of wonky sometimes. So okay, I, so you I, don't really get the links in iTunes. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I haven't tested it. Okay. Uh, we'll have to we'll have to check it out. But I, if if we don't, we'll have to we'll have to fix that. But uh, but yeah, you get everything you need, and uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, it's at Bill Wadman and at Jeffrey Sidoris. That's E R Y double D one R. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to find the most efficient way to say that. I you know I, I've given up, but people find me. I mean, I'm getting. 
people following and you know gotten a couple sure. questions and okay. that kind of thing so it's working yeah. it's working and thank you for uh, for taking the time to listen we okay. have a good time doing this. Hope you have a good time listening. Yeah, and we're next week we're going to do more of a, a slightly more nerdy show in that we're going to talk about Probably uh, end up being kind of nerdy, yeah. But uh, you can deal with it. Yeah. Hey, maybe Apple re- will release Aperture 4 by then. <laughs> and and <laughs> if they do, no one will care. That's right. No one will care. Oh, that's such a bummer, too. Oh, yeah, whatever. What are you going to do? All right. See All you right, next so week. Uh, we'll see you next week. Bye.